For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to a special deep dive episode of That Trippy Show. First of all, make sure to catch up on our episodes about Michigan and Ohio from the last two Tuesday deep dives. They're worth your time. This week, we're staying in the Midwest and talking about a state Joe Biden won by less than 21,000 votes. That would be Wisconsin. And to do that, we're welcoming back two friends who know Wisconsin well and who you know from past shows, Trigvy Olson and Paul Maslin. Guys, welcome. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks, Joe. Good to be here. Hey, Alex, so where do you want to get started? Well, guys, we got really two big headline races and want your take on that. But let's start there. So obviously, the governor's race, you got incumbent Democrat Tony Evers. He's up against Tim Michaels. Uh, he, if you look at the latest couple of polls, is has a has a lead or is really close. How are you guys seeing that race so far? He either has a lead or it's really close. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the reality of Wisconsin politics has been that with one exception, which was uh, Tammy Baldwin's sort of thumping victory in 2018, the same night that Evers beat Scott Walker by about 1%. When these two races have been on the ballot at the same time, they've tracked pretty close, uh, usually within a point or two of each other. Uh, so I think both races are very close. Evers seems to be slightly stronger than, than Barnes, but it's been a very tight race for the entire fall. There was a couple of periods where Michaels got into some difficulty, but he's come back you know, pretty effectively, and it's going down to the wire. Trigby, what's your take? Well, so I think you know that race is going to be Close. The governor's race has always been clear is going to be close, I think. I think what tells you a lot is, you know, Michaels and Tommy Thompson are heading out across the state, right? Like, and they're primarily, my understanding is, is that they're going to go right up I-94 across western Wisconsin, which, you know, when you have a race that's close, it's counties like those that really determine the outcome. Because that is kind of where the swing part of the, in a super close race is where there's a lot of swing voters. So, you know, the idea that they're going to Wood County, where Wisconsin Rapids is, more center of the state, the idea that they're going to go to La Crosse, that says where they think the race is. You know, Johnson Barnes is a little bit of a different beast, but I, I think Paul's right. You know, that race is, is going to be pretty close, too. If, if Johnson wins by three, maybe four points, I think that doesn't bode well for Evers. Yeah, so let's get into the Senate race too. But how do you, first question is, how do you guys see those two as tied together? Are there margins that either of them need, needs to have? I know, Trippy, you just kind of got there. But how, is, it, is, is there a scenario where Evers could win and Johnson could win? And is that the most likely at this point? Well, if they're within a point of two of each other, sure. If both, if both elections are within one percentage point, it's possible that you know one candidate wins from one party and the other loses from that party in the other election. And it does appear that that Evers is, you know, generally, I would say not every poll, but the vast majority of polls 
he is running slightly better than than Barnes is. And, and let's not forget the last three. And there have been Wisconsin didn't used to be like this. There was a lot more swinging around going on even earlier in the in last decade. And you know, with both Obama and Walker uh, as sort of the dominant personalities. But since Trump, we've had three elections in a row, the, both Trump elections and the, the 2018 Evers victory over Walker, that essentially were decided by one percentage point. So th that's been the last three significant elections. Again, that Tammy Baldwin race being an exception. Uh, but the big three of the two presidentials in the governor's race did come down to a point. So it's entirely possible, statistically, and in terms of the makeup of the state, that these races will come down to a point. And it's possible it'd be, it'll be a flip result. If I had to bet, I would say the result will go the same way in both races, but you could argue it the other way. The, the one thing that bothers me when you look at the numbers in the poll, in the Marquette poll, is Evers at 46. Yeah, up by five, 46, 41 in that poll. But Johnson's ahead of Barnes, 52, 46. And those, yeah. the 46 number, you know, that they both have. That's you, a you bad, know, it's a bad poll. I mean, what, what are we talking about? A net 11 point difference in the two yeah. races? That's nuts. I mean, I, we've been polling all year long and I, I can't, obviously, I'm not going to give specific numbers right now, but we've never had that kind of anything approaching that kind of gap. When there's been a gap, it's a few points. That's all it is. And sometimes there's, sometimes there's not a gap at all. Yeah, no, that's what I was wondering, because you guys are talking about the race being so, the races being so close there and then seeing yeah. that huge gap didn't make sense to me. Thanks for explaining that. Yeah, I thought that gap was odd too. You know, the thing, if you look at what in the Marquette poll, if you dig into the crosstabs, it, what it looked like is an intensity problem amongst independent-leaning Democrats. I think the other question is, you know, is Michaels, I think about, you know, my beer-drinking buddies up in St. Croix County, right, on the border, they tend to get less information about Wisconsin politics. You know, they all were Trump people in 16. Most of them voted for Biden in 20 because they just had enough, although some of them bled back over abolish the police. It is interesting to me the number of them who are who are actually right now Evers Johnson because they don't trust Barnes. And they are one of the few sort of swingy voters that are left. And they're Viking fans, too, which makes it even worse. <laughs> well, some of them. <laughs> so how do you guys take it? I mean, that's pretty much the, the swing voter that's left. What is the message that really both of these campaigns need to kind of nail home to them in these last three weeks to, to try to bring them over the line? Well, I don't want to speak for the governor's race and, and, and Trigvi, you may have some opinions there. I think obviously what we've laid out about Johnson the we being a variety of groups who I'm working for majority pack, but you know, the, it's pretty evident in, in a lot of the advertising that there's sort of a component of the Johnson's out for himself, rewarding himself as wealthy contributors, taking a bunch of stands that essentially, you know, hurt the people of Wisconsin and, and protect himself and, and, you know, and that, that ilk along with, you know, the, it's not just that he is a hundred percent down the line on abortion. Also his sort of, crass comment about, you know, to the women, go to another state, uh, which also connects back to he's made the same kind of comments about jobs in, in Wisconsin when, you know, he voted for uh, a bill that ends up, you know, taking manufacturing jobs overseas. And he's, he's pinned down about it and says, well, you know, jobs isn't a problem in, in Wisconsin. We got plenty of jobs here. So there's that callousness of Johnson. And then you throw in 
you know, throw in January 6th and, you know, comments that uh, they were peaceful protesters and the fake elector gambit and all the rest of it. So there's plenty here. And he's a 12-year incumbent that's not particularly popular. But as Trigvi said, obviously, there's been a lot of pressure put on Barnes. And, and there's been a, you know, a, a substantial, huge hit about particularly crime, law enforcement, police, et cetera, issues, bail that started in around the around before Labor Day and just went all the way through the month of September uh, pretty hard. And, and he suffered from it. So, you know, we're in a situation where we sort of have a bunch of arrows in the quiver here and we got to we got to fire them. One of the things that sticks out, though, is that the the you know, the intensity of vote, the people are absolutely certain in the poll, you know, talking about Johnson having a lead there. But when you look at folks that are less certain about voting, they're substantially like 20 point lead for Barnes. So it's about, it's also about getting the vote out. Yeah. That's an age. dimension. Yeah. That's an age dimension too. Totally. Uh, Trigby, we've seen pretty consistently that Barnes is running stronger under 40, but that's the, yeah. that's the shakier vote. I mean, if I were Barnes, I would get Tammy and Baldwin and and Godlewski, if she will. And I mean, I would I would be asking them to live in the on the campus in Superior and at Eau Claire and Eau Cross and Oshkosh and all those places. I think one of the things, you know, so the Johnson ad, the pro Johnson ad, really hammering Barnes on crime have gotten a lot of the national talk, right, because of, uh, for a lot of reasons. The one thing that's missed in that, and you got to give Ron Johnson credit, right, here, and that is, you know, Johnson was running a bunch of stuff before the attack ads on Barnes hit, before the primary, that were about all the work he's done in the African-American community that wasn't even targeted at African-Americans. It was targeted at suburban women in Waukesha County and Washington County and Ozaki County. And so you got to give them credit in the sense that they, he, he sort of seeded the field along a line that mattered for him, right? It was about Republican women who, who he knew might bleed back. If I were the Democrats, you know, tactically, I would do, I, I would be really focused on sort of those bigger counties outstate. And the other thing that I, I think you know, if the race is going to be really close, then the question becomes, are there are there Republican Bannon lines a little further north of Milwaukee headed up towards Brown County where those ads weren't permeating or a county like St. Croix County or La Crosse County, which is sort of more Democrat leaning, but where Johnson doesn't have the advantage of those ads that you can peel some people off with this power. To follow up on that point, one thing that's fascinating about Wisconsin, you know, the the politics in Wisconsin got super amped, obviously, the day that Walker declared war on the on the unions, the famous Act 10, dropped the bomb, his words. And that was back in, what, February of 2011. So we've had over a decade. And in that decade, what's fascinating to me is that essentially in southern Wisconsin, which is, which is a weird dynamic of this incredibly Democratic county in Madison, Dane County, a big city county, Milwaukee, sort of a traditional democratic county. And then these suburbs that are, are impervious to the overall trends in the rest of the country or the rest of the Northeast were all suburban. I used to grow up, I grew up, Joe, as you know, in the Philadelphia suburbs, yeah. which used to be overwhelmingly Republican. And now they're at parity or even they vote democratic in, in most elections. Yeah. That didn't happen, never happened in the Milwaukee suburbs. So that kind of, you know, 
sort of a grip that Southern Wisconsin's been in the middle of now for over a decade has worked out to the Democrats' advantage. I mean, you look at the actual margins of what happened early in Walker's time versus now, and, and it's been to the Democrats' benefit where we have slipped. And as Trigby said, where traditionally there's, there are more swing voters is up north. And the question is, they swung back a little bit for Evers, enough for him to win in 2018. Didn't really swing much back for Biden in 2020, which is why it got so scary at the end, despite all the polls showing him significantly ahead. You know, and I, and I think the, the Green Bay market in particular is a place where if Democrats are going to win, we're going to have to do a little better there than we have in recent elections. That, that's sort of the bottom line. Yeah, I mean, college educated sort of as much as Green Bay has suburbs, right? Like, yeah. In Appleton no, and Yep. Yeah, or, yeah, Oshkosh, Ashwaubenon, like places like that, I would be pounding the daylight, particularly, you know, even even if they're Fox News dominant, conservative media dominant households, if they have a pro-choice woman in the household or they have a daughter who's 24, I, I would be pounding on actually on the men in those houses because, you know, I think post-op, there's probably a lot of chirping and those they you know your point is such a good one Paul because if you look at like the twin cities suburbs you know in Minnesota right like what you're talking about has happened and pretty much it's happened in Bucks County I'm in Philadelphia right now for some focus groups Bucks County same thing you're right the Milwaukee suburbs for some reason and I don't know if that's because of the dominance of local talk radio conservative talk radio or what but they have not moved yeah, it's a bunch of reasons, but I won't go into it in this podcast, but they haven't moved very much. They did a little bit against Trump, but Walker right. still did very well there in, in 2018. And, you know, so it'll be, I think the, the, the tail of the tape in Wisconsin will ultimately be up north. And if Johnson and, and Michaels are able to produce the same kind of majorities that you've seen Trump and Walker before him, but definitely Trump, you know, then it'll be difficult for us to win the state. Has there been a differential in terms of, you know, I mean, look elsewhere, you know, when Trump's on the ballot, that turns a ton of people out that we don't normally see. But when he's not on the ballot, it's tougher for them to do that. Do you, is that something that you see happening up there or or, or not? I mean, yeah, where, but I, I don't know. I think I still go back to Trigby's point. I think the bigger turnout question is going to be what happens under 45 and with some of these independent leading right. Democrats and women, et cetera, Joe. Remember, Wisconsin. We had a recall. People forget about that recall election. Remember that one? Yeah. 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 We got our heads handed to us. But that election was in the was in June of a presidential year sitting all by itself. And there were two point five million people that voted, which is bigger than any other turnout in a midterm election that that we've seen. So I, I you know, I tend to think both sides are really good in Wisconsin at turning their people out. Yeah. I mean, Wisconsin's a high turnout state anyway. And then, you know, to be honest, like the politics is so amped up and never and jazzed up that since our since the whole Walker thing and him going down that path, yeah, yeah, I don't think it's going to be. It, it will be turnout in segments, but you know, I think about I think about when when transitions have happened though in Wisconsin, and I'm gonna go I'm gonna date myself here bad, but I was a freshman in college in 1986, and my parents had been active in politics and were buddies with Tommy. And so when I got to the campus, they told me I had to engage at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. So I ended up being central to running his campaign on campus. And 
we lined people up out the doors. Like they had to keep the polls open. And he, he won on college on the Eau Claire campus for the first time that any Republican had won. And that happened on college campuses across the state. In fact, Robin Voss was doing the same thing at Whitewater, right? So if Evers can jack that up, it might be a sign that Wisconsin is in fact moving towards something more sort of centrist. And and I do think Evers is perceived as, you know, I don't understand what Barnes has done with his campaign. To me, he's run to the left of Tammy Baldwin. Why you would run to the left of Tammy Baldwin, I don't, I can't figure that out. Evers has not run as much of a of a sort of centrist campaign as, you know, Whitmer has run in Michigan, for example. I think he'd be in a better place if he'd done that. But he certainly has positioned himself and in the debate as a as a pretty good contrast to Michaels. I mean, Michaels couldn't even talk about property taxes, for God's sakes, in that debate. He was just lost. Does will it matter on election day? I don't know. But so guys, in terms of other races we should be looking at in Wisconsin, take us past the the, the statewides, or at least the big two there. Obviously, we have we have an attorney general's race. We have. Uh... A third congressional district race, which is which is tough with Ron Ron Kind retiring, and we have the Assembly and Senate where the lines have been drawn in a way that we all understand. Unfortunately, that you know there is a limit to anything we're able to do. Go ahead, Trigby. Yeah. So having been born and raised, and having left my heart in Wisconsin three, and the first big race I worked for Steve Gunnarsson at one point was my first job out of college. First big race I ever ran was losing to Ron Kind when I was running Jim Harstorff's race. Ron Kind is retiring. Derek Van Orton, I mean, it's a big race. Derek Van Orton, if you listen to him, he's like, he he personifies a lot of what's wrong with the post-Trump GOTV. He, his ads are all about how he's a Navy SEAL. He was at the Capitol on 1-6. He didn't go in. He's incredibly coy with how he talks about it. He's running, he, he really isn't a serious candidate. He's running against Brad Path, who is a serious guy, and Ben Orton's likely going to win. Now, here's the other piece of it, though. If you're the Democrats, cutting Path loose, which there's been a lot of talk that they might, is a disaster for Tony Evers winning and for Barnes to have a shot. Because as Paul and I were just talking about, I mean, Kim Michaels and Tommy Thompson are running right up I-94 through the core of that district. Right. And they're not doing it to campaign for Van Orton. They're doing it because Tommy understands that that's where it's, it's, it's going to get decided. Lacrosse and Lacrosse and those river counties have been places where Democrats have done well. And but we've slipped, obviously, in the last in the last three cycles. Yeah. I mean, if I were running the Evers campaign uh, and I, you know, I only have public polling, but I would be running right up the river through Prairie, start in Grant County and go right up the, all the way to Superior. I mean, through Prairie du Chien and all the way up, all the way up. And I, and along the way, try and hit Wausau and, and Eau Claire to get TV. One of the difficulties is with, a, just to do a little geography lesson here, there are four different media markets that play on all those counties that are bordering either Iowa or Minnesota on the Mississippi River. There's Madison in the South, then you go to lacrosse, then you go to the Twin Cities, where obviously nobody can afford to do regular broadcast television. And then finally, you go up to uh, not river, but you go up to the border with with Duluth and, and Superior. So it's it's a tricky. It's not all, you know, they're not all the same kind of people. And it's and it's and they're only pieces of various markets 
lacrosse being the one that's the most intact. So it's a tricky target, but that is the place where at least Democrats have some ability, you know, to, to knock into the normal Republican advantage. Yeah. And you got to think like if, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much money Evers is sitting on. Johnson's super PAC certainly sitting on boatloads. I, you, you would almost think they got to think, can you, can you figure out how to scrape up enough money to go on Twin Cities television the last week or two? Because you're, if you can do it, you're operating in a vacuum. So, I mean. How much does Twin Cities cost a, a, a week? A lot, because it's bid up by the, by the Minnesota races, right? Yeah, like you got sure. a governor's race. You have multiple house races. More yeah, than Milwaukee. More than Milwaukee. It's bigger market yeah. than much bigger market than Milwaukee, and you're only getting three percent of the vote in Wisconsin, but it's a critical three percent. I remember buying Atlanta yeah. in 2017, guys. It it, it yeah. could <laughs> we, we we won by 22,000 well, votes. Yeah. So I know, Paul. Yeah. You might know this better than I would, but I didn't Evers when Evers won the first time, and and even with Biden, but didn't Evers Evers cut in by about three percent? I think in like St. Croix, Pierce, Polk. Like his that, was that was years. a big, it was a big part of he did. where Walker underperformed. That's absolutely right. He did. So is there, I mean, is, you know, we talk a lot about, and we do a lot of this. We did it 2017, 2020, you know, basically digitally targeting these kind of areas. Is there is either one of, one of these campaigns have any prowess at doing that in terms of particularly you know, the Twin Cities, three, you know, the 3% of the state, they've got to yeah. be out doing other things, right? I think my impression, Trigby, correct me if I'm wrong, my impression, at least from the Senate side, is both Republican and Democratic sides are heavy digital, and it's roughly, you know, comparable in terms of, in terms of spending right now. Uh, again, there is a huge need to motivate under 45 voters for for Barnes, that is unquestionably going to be. And if there, you know, and if there is a, a secret weapon that he's got, again, Wisconsin turnout, as we've all been saying, and I was wrong by the way earlier, is two point six million in twenty eighteen. Yeah. You know, which is you know an amazing turnout. The first Walker election was barely two million voters, and by twenty eighteen, we were up to over two point six million in a midterm election. So, you know, that's the one thing that that the Marquette or some poll can say, well, look at the difference between the likely and everybody else. But what if everybody votes? I mean, not everybody, not a presidential turnout, obviously, right. but a substantial number of voters vote. That that could still be a difference. And that's where the digital can come in handy here at the end. One thing on your on your digital point, Joe, for, for those who are listening who who, you know, care about politics and, you know, maybe donors or other people, but who don't really understand this, you know, they we're used, we're conditioned to seeing television ads, right? And so back in those days, you know, it wasn't highly targeted. Yeah, you could buy Wheel of Fortune to get seniors or whatever. I think there is a whole battle going on. And, and we saw this, you know, with the Lincoln Project work we did in, in 20 in Wisconsin. We went in at the very end and we focused on male voters who were bleeding off of Biden in very specific suburban counties over to defund the police. And I mean, we just pummeled them, reminding them of why they didn't like Donald Trump. The, the thing with digital is that that battle goes on at, at you know, it's all smart bomb level. And it, it's hard to know what the, how the campaigns are seeing things because you don't see it as much. 
you might you see it in polling, but you don't you don't necessarily see it moving in the same way. So, and that stuff is far more impactful in many ways than what you see on TV. Yeah. So before we uh, lose you guys, I wanted to just step back a little bit and look at the national scene and and see what your take is. You know, with the three weeks left to go, you know, we see kind of different different takes on what the generic ballot looks like right now. And, you know, so I don't know if you can, Paul, you got some, you know, what's your take uh, this far out? I'm one of those that believes that all the races are compressing, that some of the races that Democrats are supposed to be stronger in might be closer than we think and vice versa. And that we're going to come down, you know, everyone knows which, what the states are in terms of the Senate. I'm not an optimist about the House. I never have been. Even even at our best moments, I still never really felt that we would have enough ability to you know to fight this sort of general midterm wave and retain the House. But you know, I, these Senate races are going to be really really tight, and I can give you all kinds of scenarios right now, Joe. I don't have a strong feel for it. I you know you you tell me Nevada, Georgia. Pennsylvania and tell me exactly who's going to win Wisconsin, Arizona. Yeah. You know, just go through the list. Is there a surprise somewhere? You know, is Ohio really a surprise? You know, I, I we don't know. I, I tend to think they're going to, they're, they're all compressing and they'll all be closer than, or not all, but most of them will be closer than we think. You know, I, I do think we're likely to see a surprise. I don't know what it would be, but I mean, you know, it, but I don't know, North Carolina, Ohio, something, but I, I just think that I what I agree with you that the, the races are all closing and getting and, and compressing, but I do think it's all. It just seems to me this is that kind of weird dynamic of an election year where you're going to get a surprise or two that uh, that none of us saw coming. Yeah, and to be perverse about it, what's probably going to happen is the Senate will come down to a Georgia runoff again. You know, I yeah. mean, and here we go. And I'm not sure that helps us this time. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that is that. Yeah, that'll be a different different one than last time, though, for sure. So I, I agree in the sense that, I mean, I think it's going to be pretty scrambled. I mean, when Ann Seltzer is coming out, like, yeah, I, right. I had an Iowa, I had an Iowa straw poll once where she was right and I was pretty obnoxiously wrong. So I'm not going to doubt her. When she has a poll out that shows Chuck Grassley in trouble, you know what? There's, there's part of me that's like he's Chuck fucking Grassley, right? Like. But then there's another part of me. He's he's 89 years well, old. He's been yeah, in he office. Yeah, he is Chuck and fucking people, Grassley. <laughs> <laughs> and, Joe, uh, people have forgotten know. that that old longtime Senate incumbents used to lose in surprising fashion, right? Yes, that, that's yes. a thing. That's a thing. No, it's true. Well, he sounds it's true. more like Roger Jepsen, the dumbest man to ever serve in the Senate, than Chuck Grassley. So there's that too. Yeah, well, there's some competition there, though. Uh, well, Roger Jepson was pretty dumb. Yeah. Well, Tommy Tuberville, but I, I don't want to get too. <laughs> don't get, don't get us started. <laughs> Only you yeah, two yeah, yeah. old guys. The, the Alex is looking at me like, who the hell is Roger Jepson? Jepson? You got to be really old to <laughs> know who talk. the hell Roger yeah. Jepson is. But he was pretty stupid. Nebraska yeah. had a guy named Roman Ruska who celebrated mediocrity. So you know, there, there, there's a <laughs> there's a tradition here. Right. I think we're going to get some surprises. And I, I, you know, here's the thing about the House, though. Right. Like, I agree with Paul. I think the House is a reach for Democrats. I also think and, and when we, Joe, when when you and I would be talking in June, right, you were always saying it's going to get tighter or whatever. And I was like, I don't think it will. It has. Here's the thing that people aren't really thinking through, though. 
it's distinctly possible if Democrats get within 10 Republican seats that Republicans aren't capable of electing a speaker. Yeah. Because they can't agree. Yeah. So, like, there's other tipping points that are going to play in all of this. Now, that doesn't mean the Democrats will get elected speaker. I don't know what happens if they can't elect speaker. But remember, if it wasn't for Paul Ryan, they wouldn't have been able to elect speaker then. And things are even more crazy now. Yeah. Look, I, I've always thought with the House, what I've been saying for, you know, quite a while, probably, you know, uh, a lot of rolled eyes out there. But I mean, but starting out when, you know, everybody thought it was going to be 50, 60 seats, it wasn't. That it was always going to be uh, closer than people thought. I think that's trended the right way, and I, I've always thought Democrats would do much better in the House than, you know, than people were 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 saying about the, you know the big red wave like 2010 when we lost 63 under Obama. I you know I I still think that there's an outside chance that the, those toss up seats all you know break one one way or the other, which could mean that pretty big swing. Because uh, there's 32 it's of them. before. It's happened yeah. before in the Senate. We've all seen. It. I do think like it's not inconceivable that the surprise would be that somehow, some way, the 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 Democrats eke out a two seat holding onto the House. I I do think it's much more likely that they we lose ten. I don't think it gets a whole lot bigger than that, but we'll see. But I I just think that I don't want people. No one here on this uh, podcast is predicting Democrats hold the the House. Just. There is a chance. I think even Nate Silver at three at five thirty eight has a thirty five percent chance that Democrats hold the House, uh, which is uh, that's you know thirty five percent is not not a, not a small. That's not a surprise. Know. Yeah, I thought it was twenty five, but maybe I'm wrong. No, I'm maybe twenty five, but twenty five percent is not. Still, you know, no, no, that's, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the Saudis and OPEC did us no favors, and I, and I do. Right. You know, this latest hit you saw in that CBS poll where, you know, m most people, needless to say, are reporting, yeah, gas prices going up again. Let's not forget that along with Dobbs, along with all the Trump, yeah. you know, rigmarole all summer long, we also had, you know, inflation not really coming down a lot. But we did have gas prices coming down for several months, and that obviously flipped back. So yeah. I don't know. I, I think the other well two things one I think I think as the as the former Republican on this call I, I think as I said before if it, if Democrats can keep it within ten seats the Republican House caucus is such a shit show that that they're going to expose themselves as really being a failed coalition I think the other thing to keep in mind is you know people aren't talking much about the Utah race but I can tell you as a former Republican. The fact that Ted Cruz and Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson and all these guys are feeling compelled that they're having to spend that much money at times talking about Mike Lee means you could have a whole scramble going on there. Now, Mike Lee will probably still vote for Mitch McConnell for for majority leader, yeah. but he's also going to be beholden to Democrats and, and democracy first. So I think the whole thing is going to be more mixed up than probably we've seen after regardless of the usual. Guys, I think that's just about as good a place as any, and we're just about out of time today. Hey, thanks, Paul and Trigg, for coming on, and thanks, everyone, for listening to That Trippy Show. We'll be back on Friday with another episode. Please subscribe to That Trippy Show and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. And if you have some questions, you can always email us at thattrippyshow at gmail.com or leave a question and a review on iTunes. Hey, guys, thanks, Paul. Thanks, Trigg. Thanks. Thanks, Alex. Yeah. See you, everybody. Thanks. See you, you next Joe. time.
Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.